How's everybody doing today? You guys doing good? All right. Well, my name's Jeremy. For those of you that don't know me, I get the privilege of serving on the governing team here at Mosaic, and we have a lot of fun um, meeting with Eric and talking about Mosaic and helping set the vision for the church and helping make sure that we're on course, and so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do that, but also to get up here today. And if there's one other thing you guys know about me, it's probably what? I like audience participation, don't I? It really annoys some of you. I know that. That's okay. So what I made myself do was promise, promise myself that we would only do it one time today. So I'm only going to ask you to participate once. So that's not too bad, right? So what I want you to do is I don't want you to raise your hand right away. You don't have to shoot it up right away because this is something you really have to think about, right? How many of you guys at any point in your life, so I'm talking at any point from the beginning till now, no matter what income bracket you lived in, no matter who raised you, where you grew up, how many of you at any point were kids? Okay, besides a few Benjamin Buttons out there, pretty much everybody was a child once, right? And when you were a kid, how did you see the world? Did you see the world the way a kid does, right? And how a kid sees the world is very different than how we see the world as a teenager, one of my favorite things to do when someone says, uh, you know, well, you're really old because you're like 38. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to remember that when you're 38 and you're going to be really old too, right? But see, we see the world differently based on our age. I mean, a teenager looks at life in just a different way than a 20-year-old and a 20-year-old different than a 30 or 40-year-old. I have no idea what a 50 or 60-year-old, how they view the world because I'm not one. Can you imagine what the world must look like to an 80- or 90-year-old person? They must see things totally different than what we do. And when you're a kid, don't you see the world a lot more simple? How many of you guys, when you were 8 years old, worried about paying the bills? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, by the way. I told you you don't have to. I will, though. How many of you guys worried about buying a new car when you were 8? No one. How about paying for... Yeah, Ryan did. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> He was like, when is Tesla going to come out? I can't wait. No, uh, you guys weren't worried about buying a bigger home for your growing families. You weren't worried about retirement when you were 12 years old. We just see the world different, and that is okay. <clears throat> not, uh, being a kid is not always easy, is it? There are some 20-year-olds who have been through more than some of us who are 30, 40, 50, 60 even. And how we see the world really does depend on or not depend on, but plays a big part in what we've experienced, doesn't it? How many of you guys have ever heard the term adulting? That was not a thing when I was 20. Adulting is the new term that this new generation of 20-year-olds are saying, I'm having a hard time adulting. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess we all did, didn't we? We all had a hard time adulting. But that just wasn't even a thing 15 years ago. Of course, there's always exceptions but for the most part, as a kid, we have the freedom to not worry about things that people who are caring for themselves and caring for others have to deal with. The world looks different at different phases of life. I was told when I was in my 20s that how I see the world will play a huge role in what I experience and the choices I make. As I turn 40 next year, I realized that was really good advice. I don't think the average person spends a lot of time thinking about their worldview, though. Today, we're reading from the book of Acts, chapter 16, okay, and it's a lot of reading, but we're going to get through it. We're going to have the script, uh, verses up on here for you to follow along. If you brought your Bibles, we encourage you to use those as well. 
The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. It's basically stories about the people who were walking with Jesus and the life that they lived after Jesus left this earth. So let's read Acts 16, 1 through 10. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, I debated whether or not I should make a comment on this, but I have to because it's just hilarious. If, we, if the bar for becoming a Christian today was being circumcised as an adult, do you know what we would have? A church full of women. <laughs> Let's keep going. As, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance and the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So at this time, this is after Jesus left and went to heaven, and what we have here is all the people who followed him and all of the believers that had come about after that, they made up this council in Jerusalem, and because the churches were all new and they didn't really know a whole lot, they were asking a lot of questions. Can we do this? Should we do that? What does this mean? What does that mean? And so they would send all these things to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and then they would get answers back, and that was one of the ways that they, you know, today we come to church on Sunday to learn what the Bible says. They were literally taking what Jesus had taught them and then writing the Bible at that point too. Let's keep reading. And they went through the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go, into, uh, go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what we see here in a few verses after uh, this is basically Paul's traveling around the region, starting churches, converting people to faith in Christ, and he's spreading the message of hope that we have in Jesus. This is basically his travel agenda and a few stories of people that he met along the way. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Say thank you. <clears throat> so as I was reading this chapter, I'm thinking, why did Pastor Eric give me this to talk about? And then I realized, why? Because there's just, it's a travel agenda. No. Uh, as I was thinking about, you know, what to talk about today, and I'm reading these verses and I'm praying and I'm asking God, there's one thing that just jumped out at me. Something that just stood out so plain. It was, how did Paul and how did Silas and how did these other followers of Jesus see the world that they lived in? How did they view the world around them? What was their worldview? And I realized that they saw the world through, God's king, through the eyes of God's kingdom. I mean, why else would you travel around and do all those things? And if you're not familiar with what God's kingdom is, that's okay. I think we all have a lot to learn on this subject. Um, while Jesus was on the earth, he taught in parables. Uh, many times he taught parables, and he started them off saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell a story that would help define what the kingdom of heaven was like, which makes sense. But a lot of times people were confused. 
Um, It's interesting, you hear the greatest teachers and the greatest scholars of that time were baffled at Jesus talking because here was this guy who was uneducated, he was a carpenter's son, and all of a sudden he was confusing them about the things that they spent their life learning about. Well, at one point in Luke 8, we're going to read this. The disciples asked Jesus what a parable meant, and this is what he said. Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The scary thing to me about that is, is there are people out there who can see and hear about God's kingdom and not even have a clue what it meant. If you're taking notes, the first note we have here is as his followers, his kingdom is for us to understand. We're meant to view this world as his disciples did, which is seeing it through the lens of God's kingdom. And this is the hard part about scripture. We're going to read in Matthew 16, 24, and 25 right now. Jesus was talking and he said, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What you got to understand when you read that is taking up your cross and following him meant They had seen people crucified weeks before, months before. They had lived a life in this time where people were being crucified for their crimes. And Christianity or belief in God, if it violated Roman law, they would view it as a crime. And we see later on in the scriptures that that's what happened to people. They were crucified. In fact, Paul, who we're reading about, was crucified because he was a believer. And so when Jesus is saying, Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's not feel good. It's not super easy. It is one of the harder things in scripture to read and to understand. But all this ties into this worldview and this lens of God's kingdom. Because we all have things we love that draw us away. Now, a lot of people know me fairly well here and they know that I love sports, right? One of the guys jokes and says I should have a sports radio show. If I was left to my own choices, I would do nothing but sports, right? I would just play a coach, find a job, and make my life revolve around sports. In fact, at different times in my life, I actually have done that, where my life revolved a lot around sports. Nothing wakes me up in the morning and gets me more energized than talking about or playing or coaching sports. But I learned a long time ago that for me, that that desire was actually destructive, I go on binges if I don't keep it in check. There's nothing inherently wrong with sports, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with playing or doing them. I watched the NBA draft last week. I didn't feel guilty about it. I check ESPN almost every day. I don't feel guilty about it. It's totally okay to love sports. And maybe you don't even like sports. Maybe your thing is shopping or exercise or movies. Maybe you love to work. Maybe you love to achieve things so that you can get applause. It could literally be almost anything for any of you that you love and that drives you. It's human nature to have things that if we left them to our own devices, we would consume our entire life with. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying give those things up completely. There's no judgment coming from what I'm saying. My point is it's easy and it's common for us to consume our lives with what we love and what we enjoy. It's easy and it's common to consume our lives with us. We're all guilty of that to some extent. 
What I am saying, though, is, is that this is not holding a view of God's kingdom. This is not dedicating ourselves to him. That's not denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following him. <clears throat> when we consume our lives, if you're taking notes here, when we consume our lives with us, we are missing the bigger picture. Okay, now don't raise your hand because you don't have to. How many of you guys have gone more than one day without asking God what he wanted you to do that day? I have lots of times, and I've gone a lot longer than one day. I've met so many people who have been shocked at the notion that you would ever ask God what he wanted you to do. They're really good, well-intentioned people, and they couldn't even fathom asking God to help them deny themselves and to seek after his kingdom. Again, this isn't to condemn, to condemn anyone but to confess that we all struggle with this. If this is something you struggle with, you're in good company. I like to tell my wife, the line starts about seven billion people behind me. It's not common or easy to place God's kingdom as our mission in life. We often leave that to the full-time pastors and minister and missionaries. We think it's their calling and we're called to do something else. The problem that I see there is, is that I don't see it in the Bible. None of the followers after Jesus left this earth thought that way. They were all called to be missionaries to those around them because they viewed the world in a way that this life wasn't about what they were living for. They weren't living for themselves or for this life, but they were denying themselves, picking up their cross and following Christ. They were sacrificing the things that they loved for the things that he loves. This is contrary to everything that we're told in our culture. Again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying everyone is called to be a missionary. I'm not saying everyone is called to be a full-time pastor. But what amazes me is a lot of people, they don't even ask God what they are called to. They don't ask with an open heart, willing to hear whatever he says. I've been there many, many times. Have you ever made the decision to wake up every morning and ask God to help you today to view this life through the lens of his kingdom? That is what I see when I read Acts 16. I see people sold out to God, willing to lose everything of themselves for something so much bigger. I see men and women who are sold out and struggle to deny themselves and live every day for his kingdom. When I say struggle, I don't mean they struggle with it like they have a hard time. I mean they put forward maximum effort to make sure that they're doing their absolute best to see God's kingdom come on this earth. I know this isn't feel good rah-rah. I know that this can be a little hard to talk about, so I'm sorry. But the beautiful part about this whole story is, is this isn't the end of the story, and this isn't the end of the message. Because the the amazing part is, in order to get to the good stuff, sometimes we have to acknowledge and recognize the hard stuff. What if someone came to you and said, I want to lose some weight, but I'm not really into exercising, don't really want to eat healthy. Do you guys have good advice for them? Anyone got a pill? Because I'll buy it. There are no pills for healthy living. And we understand this in every other area of life, but when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we forget that it's the same way. There's no pill to swallow that makes the things of our faith go easier. 
There's no Sunday attendance or Bible reading plan that absolves us from living for God's kingdom. Those things are meant to help us live for God's kingdom. As we continue to read in Acts 16, we see in verses 16 and 17 that Paul and Silas were met by a slave girl. She had a spirit in her. She was a fortune teller. And she would follow them around all day long yelling, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for days, and then this is the funny part. It says Paul got annoyed, and he commanded the spirit to come out of her. What happened was the people who, were, who owned her, she was a slave, the people who owned her were no longer able to profit off of her. So they had Paul and Silas beaten and put in jail. They were, it says they were put in the inner prison for their protection and put in stocks. So here was Paul and Silas living their life fully vested into God's kingdom, and yet here they are in jail. Let's read Acts 16, 25 through 40 and see what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's incredible. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that all the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were fastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That's a pretty amazing story. I don't know how many of you guys have stories like that, maybe some of you do, where God was able to use you in a way that changed the life of other people. And there's something valuable in that. But where we see that happening is when we're focused on God's kingdom and not our own. I want to make one very important statement, so listen carefully, okay? What I say here could determine the way you remember this entire message. None of this is meant to judge or condemn anyone for what you've done or what you will do. Everything I'm talking about today is meant to do one thing. It's to convince you to analyze yourself and to take a new step towards God. It's not meant to be used by anyone to judge others, but to examine us and to ask God to use us to change us, use it to change us. See, part of God's kingdom is that we work on us and encourage, pray for, and use our gifts so that others can experience the kind of life-changing grace and love that spurs them to live a life dedicated to his kingdom. That is what I hope you take away from today. God's kingdom is so big that if you ask him to reveal it to you, And where you need to grow, he will. He'll bring people into our lives that help us identify those things. He'll put us in communities where people can love us and support us. Because of that, I really encourage you guys to take this mentality back to your small groups, to the people in your life around you and that you trust, and ask them to help you identify ways that you can see God's kingdom better. Ask them to pray for you to prioritize the kingdom over everything else. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to help you on this journey. 
because I know it can be difficult. You're going to have bumps and curves in the road. You're going to have mountains to climb and valleys to survive. But together, as a church, we can grow because the kingdom of heaven is like. And there are so many stories that Jesus gave us. If we don't know the answer to that, that's okay. We've got work to do, and we probably always will. But today's the day that we get the opportunity to face the question and determine in our hearts that we're going to make this a regular part of our life. That we're going to ask God daily to reveal this to us. That we will ask God to help us see people in the world the way he does. I've found that the way he sees the world is a lot different than the way I naturally do. And I've also found that the way he sees the world is a lot better than the way I naturally do. Because God's going to lead us wherever we are. Even if it's in a jail in a foreign country, God's going to be there with us. He's going to use us to help others. He's always going to be with us. And the life that we live will be full of much more than we could ever imagine or dream when we live this way. Because the life we lead ourselves on is pretty hollow. It's pretty shallow. And it lacks what we were created for. It lacks love and hope and peace. But the life lived for his kingdom wants for none of that. In Matthew 6, Jesus is in the middle of what they call the Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling people to not worry about what they're going to eat or what they're going to clothe themselves with. And he tells the crowd, we're going to read this together. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Because it's when we prioritize God's kingdom that he takes care of us. That we want for nothing. But again, it can be difficult. It's hard to not rely on ourselves, especially when most of us have the means to take care of ourselves. And in the end of our lives, I promise you, the love and the hope and the peace is all that you're going to care about. Have you guys ever heard the story about the person on their deathbed with loving and caring friends surrounding them? And their response was, I wish I had gone out to eat more often. Or I wish lived in a bigger house or drove a nicer car. I've never heard that story. None of those things are bad or wrong, but that's not what's going to matter because at the end of our life, when we get there, our worldview changes. People who are about to cross over to the other side view life in a different way than probably anybody else does. What they care about is they care about the people that influenced them and that they influenced. They care about the loved ones that they have. No one values money when they're about to die. We value people, and valuing people is one of the largest aspects of viewing this world through God's king, the eyes of God's kingdom. Seeing, the, the, seeing life the way God does means seeing people as the most important and worthy, and wor- most important and worthy of any sacrifice. Like Pastor Eric said last week, it's not just the horizontal, it's the vertical too. It's both. And God's kingdom calls us to value both, horizontal and vertical. It calls us to see life like he does. God's kingdom brings heaven to earth, and it brings what our hearts long for. Community, relationships, purpose, hope, love, joy, peace. Seeing the world the way, the world's, seeing the world the way God's kingdom calls us to is the only way to really live. 
The reality is that you're, if you're a follower of Christ, one day your life is going to end and you will see the kingdom of heaven. But the beautiful part is you don't have to wait for that. You can see it now. It's available to us now. But it requires us to set aside us and to see the world through his eyes. And that's my prayer for you today. That his kingdom would be real in your life. And that along with it, your love would grow, your hope would grow, your peace would grow. Shortly after Jesus talking about seek first the kingdom of God in his Sermon on the Mount, he actually said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Because God's kingdom is more real than we can imagine. And it's available right now. And that's the good news. The good news is that the sacrifice isn't for nothing. It's actually to gain everything. We don't have to wait for heaven. We can pray and ask God to bring his kingdom into our lives. But it doesn't happen on accident. We have to ask for it. If the band wants to come up. Just as Jesus said, we have to knock for the door to be opened. We have to seek to find it. And when we do, we find more than we could ever imagine. This is an amazing topic to talk about, and it's a hard topic sometimes to talk about. But when I see it, I don't see the hard stuff because I see the end result. I see that when we prioritize God's kingdom, I see the lives that have been changed around that. Because other people prioritize God's kingdom, I'm here with you guys today instead of off doing who knows what. Because we, other people, were willing to sacrifice and give, that brought what we have today. And that's a pretty, a pretty amazing gift that we get. And to me, that's the good news. So there is a hard aspect of it, but then the good news is that all of that is readily available for every one of us. Let's pray. Father, today as we gather together and worship you, we read your word. There are parts of it, Father, that are challenging, that are difficult. There are parts of it that are full of joy and life. God, I just ask that everyone in this room would, would be able to look and see the encouraging word today, that they would be able to look and see that you have provided us with something that we can't even give ourselves, but that we can only find in our relationship with you. God, we just ask that today, as we think on what we've heard, as we go about our days, God, I just ask that you would help remind each one of us the importance of what your kingdom is, the importance of what you bring into our life, Father, and that we can look back behind us and see that others made sacrifices to bring us to where we are, and now we have the privilege of bringing your kingdom to the lives of others. God, I just ask that you would help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would know the truth, and Father, that you would help us to walk it out every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna go ahead and receive our morning offering if the ushers would get ready. So uh, at Mosaic, we really 
love the opportunity that we have here to give and to help other people, um, whether it's through our time, our talents, or our treasure. And we have so many very dedicated volunteers and so many people who are dedicated, who, who give and help make Mosaic possible and make, allow us to have a place where we can provide uh, a safe place for people to ask questions, for people to learn about God, for people to experience more of who he is, where we can build community. And that would not be possible for us to do that without the financial gifts that you guys give. So thank you for that. Um, that's why we uh, receive the offering every week. It's not so that we can, you know, just exist as a church, but so that we can make a difference in people's lives. So thank you for that. The ushers can go ahead and come forward and receive the offering.